We are in the middle of Second Timothy. We're walking through the letter from Paul to Timothy, his last letter to the churches, specifically to his beloved son, Timothy. But today we're going to take a little break from Timothy. It's actually not my intent this morning to uh, to preach to you. As much as it is this morning to declare truth over you and to pray that the, the, the facts of Scripture, the facts of who you are in Christ, who he says you are, would fall on needy ears this morning, would fall on open ears. I, I know the ears are needy. I know we need this truth. My prayer this morning is that this single truth fall on open ears. It's a truth I've, uh, I've known about for a, a long time. It's a passage I've known in my heart for a long time, had memorized for a long time. But admittedly, I'm still, uh, I'm still attempting to comprehend it, still attempting to fully embrace it. I don't honestly fully own it in my own heart, not on a day-to-day basis. So turn to Song of Solomon chapter 2. It's about right here in your Bible. If you just pop your Bible open, it's about right there. You see that? Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomons. If you get to Isaiah, which is a pretty big book, you could do that. You've gone too far. So back up just a little bit. Song of Solomon uh, is an interesting book. You've maybe never heard it preached before from the pulpit. Uh, it's a unique book because of its, uh, in a sense, its duality. It It covers not only... What we can uh, know about God and know about God's love for us. But it even deals, I believe, on the practical level of how we interrelate in our marriages. Uh, I believe it, it first and maybe foremost is God's divine word to us about, about courtship and marriage and dating. And, and, and dating should come before marriage. Don't, don't confuse that. Courtship, dating, something like that. You get what I'm saying. It has something to say, something of great importance to say to us about that whole process of finding a mate, about being married. The guy who mentored me uh, travels the country still to this day teaching about Song of Solomon. He jokes, he said, I go around talking about sex and they pay me money. Because in that book, in that letter, you get to see them. It's not a kid's day, is it? You get to see them have sex in the book twice. Uh, he tells the story in his uh, Song of Solomon conference. His name's Tommy Nelson, by the way. He tells the story that the first time he was teaching this at the University of North Texas, not far from where his church is, he was teaching it, and a young college guy, he got to one of the, uh, one of the uh, heavier, hotter parts of the letter, and he said he looked down and he saw the guy, and he said, no joke, it was the truth. He went like this. That is the Song of Solomon. And if you, if you strictly allegorize it to be just about God's great love for his bride in Christ, then you miss something. Let me just tell you that. You miss something of great practical value. But what is this book? It is a letter. It's a love letter. It's a love letter from Solomon. You know plenty about him. I don't have to give you any more information about him. It's a love letter from Solomon to his bride. To this woman, and uh, we learn a lot about the heart of Solomon in this letter. We also learn a lot about the heart of this woman in the letter. We learn a lot about their relationship together. Uh, So when you read the Song of Solomon, sometimes called the Song of Songs, you're reading a love letter from husband to wife. And you get to see the intricacies of that relationship. 
you get to learn about each one's perspective, but you also get to learn about how they how they relate to one another. Um, so it's twofold. It's it's this practical love relationship of humans, but it's also it's also by divine inspiration. Uh, an application of that love so that maybe we can understand God's love for us. It's as if God in crayon, remember that story maybe I've told you before? A little boy was in uh, preschool or kindergarten, and uh, they had free coloring time. And the teacher was walking around. She looked over her little Timmy's shoulder, and she said, Timmy, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing, I'm drawing God. <laughs> she kind of chuckled, mocking him. She said, well, no one knows what God looks like to me. He says, well, they will now. So he was drawing it. He was putting it down in crayon for the world to see. Uh, Marriage is, in a sense, in crayon for us to understand this great cosmic love relationship between God and his bride, us. This morning, uh, my intent, as I say, is really not to preach to you. It's for you to see just a nugget of truth on this Valentine's weekend Uh, Maybe it's appropriate to talk about God's love for us as exposed in Solomon's love for the bride. Song of Solomon, chapter two, follow along. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. You've often heard that quoted about Jesus. Uh, Solomon's not speaking there. It's the woman who's speaking here in verse one. She is the rose of Sharon. The lily of the valleys. And what she's doing here is not elevating herself. She's putting herself on common ground. That was a common flower in a common area. It grew like a weed. She's not elevating herself with those words. Now Solomon speaks. Ah, but like a lily among thorns. So is my darling among maidens. She lowers herself. And Solomon says, not so fast. You may be that lily. Interesting that he doesn't change the flower here. You may be that lily, but you're a lily as if among thorns. My darling among maidens, you're one in a million. It's as if everything else is in black and white and he sees her in color. Verse three, she responds. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. He's one in a million as well. He is this fruitful tree in the backdrop of a forest. This one apple tree. So is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight and sat down. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. She recognizes his worth. She recognizes his blessedness, his fruitfulness, his sweetness, his kindness, his protection. Verse four. Look what else he does. He has brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. So here's what you have in these first four verses. You have you have the bride speaking about herself in not very high terms. You have Solomon, in a sense, correcting her, giving his feelings about her. And then she responds with her great feelings about the bridegroom. And then she starts to recognize truth about him and about what he has done for her. Did you catch that? Uh, 
I want you to notice the fact that she is the one who notices these things. He is who he is and she is who she is. And he says something about her. He corrects her and she recognizes who he is. And then she it's as if she gets it. And she starts to talk about not only who he is, but what he has done for her. It comes to her. Um, in a sense, that's my goal this morning. My goal in just these next few moments is to help you with the Spirit's help accompanying us. To see maybe something your heart has never seen before. Or to see something maybe your heart has not fully embraced before. Maybe to see it to a degree that you haven't seen it before. And it's this thing of a right view of yourself in the eyes of the bridegroom. Correcting you, knowing who he truly is and what he's truly done for you, sets yourself in correct perspective. Now that was a mouthful and probably confusing. There are, there are many valuable truths in these first four verses. Many valuable lessons about what you can learn, about um, what God feels about you. Um, we're not going to focus on all these, but there are many. Let me give you just a few. Because there are, uh, there are uh, very deep and weighty and needed things in these first four verses that we could talk about. For example, we don't always feel pretty, do we? In your relationship with God, we don't always feel like the valued one or the esteemed one. But in the eyes of the Savior, we are a lily among thorns, aren't we? We don't always feel deserving, do we? But Jesus takes us to places we could not go on our own. Did you notice? He has brought me to his banquet hall. Who has done it? She didn't usher herself in. He brought her. You almost get the picture that he's carried her over that threshold. He took her there. We don't always feel deserving, but Jesus takes us places we couldn't go on our own. We don't always feel able, do we? Capable, do we? But Jesus brings us along in his strength and his capability. On and on and on. There are many spiritual lessons you could draw from this. But it's this, it's this banner I want you to notice. It's the banner I want you to, uh, to be stuck on this morning. In context, I think this banner can best be understood as like a royal insignia. All right, so picture this in context. He brings her into a banqueting hall. In some places, it's, it's translated uh, uh, like, a, like a wine den. Uh, the best commentators say that what she's trying to allude to here is that he's taking her to this upper room where the finest wine is kept by, by the wealthy. And not only wine is kept there, but all their other valuables are kept there. And he's taken her to this very private, exclusive place. He's ushered her into this place. And so the, the picture that you might get in context here about this banner being over her and it's saying love on it, it's the idea of a royal insignia banner. That now she isn't royalty, but she gets ushered into this place as royalty because of this banner that's being flown before her. If you picture royalty marching in, they usually carry on a staff above it this banner, right? And it has a, has a sign or colors or some sort of marking that says, here's my royal marker. And so you get the idea here that this banner is being carried before her and flying over her. And it ushers her into a place that she couldn't have gotten to by herself. And he brings her there. 
And she senses that there is this banner waving before and over her that marks her as his own. But even, uh, even, even, that, even that perspective on the banner really isn't the truth I want to stick with you for the rest of the day. The truth I, that I want you to catch this morning is that the word banner is sometimes also translated or understood or rendered as a standard. Now, it's, it's the same thing but a different flavor than a banner. Okay, so follow me here. As a standard... We get a different connotation on the word and the context and the point that maybe she is making here. It's it's a beautiful thought to picture ourselves one day being ushered into the royal throne room of God the Father with this royal banner that declares us something that we weren't on our own. And that's what gets us in the door into the presence of royalty. That's a beautiful thought. But. But what about here and now? What, what about right here on, on earth? How does, this, how does this banner play in? I think understood as not just a banner, a royal banner, but as a standard might help. You see, a standard isn't, isn't picturing a royal celebration. A standard gives you the idea of the heat of battle. It's a military flag. A banner or a standard in a military sense was something that the guy at the very front held to declare some things about that group, that army, that unit, that set of men in their arrangement, in their formation. This banner over them declared who they were, whose they were. It declared a whole lot. Let me, let me give you a little bit of an idea here. In a military banner or a standard... Let me give you four things that it helps to declare. Number one, it declares the authority of the army marching under it for the enemy to see. It declares the authority of the army marching under the banner for the enemy to see. So that when you march out and you've got this banner before you and over you, and it's got the insignia of who you're marching for, what army you're in, on it, it tells the enemy, look out because they belong to this army. And hopefully that banner... Posted before you, those colors, that insignia posted above and before you would intimidate the enemy. And so as a military banner, that's one of the things that accomplished. It declared the authority of the army marching under it to the bad guys. Number two, it is the rally point of protection for the army when there is trouble. In the heat of battle, if there's trouble, you go back to the standard. It is the rally point. For protection. Where do we go when the heat is on? When bullets start to fly, we run back to our banner. It is the symbol of safety and protection. It's home base, if you will. Number three. It is, in a sense, it's the battle cry for the army marching under it. Whatever is on that banner becomes the battle cry for that army. We march in this guy's name. We march for this authority. And when they shout at the beginning of that battle, they're going to shout for that authority. All right? Hold on to that. Here's the last one. 
It also declares the authority of the army marching under it for the army marching under it to see. All right. Now, that sounded a whole lot like the first one. The first one was it declares it declares the authority of the army marching under it for the enemy to see. But here's where we need to focus. It also declares the authority of the army marching under it for the army marching under it to see. So it's not just for the bad guys to look at it and be intimidated by what they see coming at them, what army they see coming at them, what authority they see is behind that army. It's also for you in the army to look over you and before you and to see that is the authority that is, that is your marching orders. It is your battle cry and it is to empower you as you march. All right. So you get the idea of what a military sense of a standard or a banner might mean. Okay. He's brought me into his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. The flag the believer is to rally around is love. It's love. Not some ecumenical, lovey-dovey, wishy-washy, anything goes love, but love according to the word of God. Love according to the cross of Christ. The banner that is flying over you and I, church, the insignia on that banner, the authority which we march under, that is the intimidation factor to the enemy. The banner we march under, that is our rallying point, that is our safe haven, that is our protection The banner that we are marching under, that is our battle cry. The banner that we are marching under, that we ourselves look to for encouragement and strength and power, has by God's divine declaration embroidered upon it love. Now, I don't know if you were writing the book, what you would have put on the banner, but God has chosen to put one word. Love. Over us. To accomplish all those things. It is love that gets you into places you cannot go yourself. It is love that brought you into the presence of the Father when you could not enter into the presence of the Father on your own. It was the love of Christ that went to the cross to die when you could not pay the debt yourself. It gets you before royalty. It declares you as holy. It declares you as something you could not declare yourself. But in the heat of the battle, right here and now, church... We need to be reminded that in a military sense, we have a banner over us, before us. The intimidation factor for the world in the church should be our love. (laughs) How about that for a battle plan? Love them. Love them. When you leave here, wave the flag, the banner of your authority. And God has placed upon that flag his love. That's the that's the flag we wave when we go into this world. How are we doing right there? How are you doing right there? Is that the flag you're waving on behalf of the kingdom of God? His great love for this fallen world. It's our rallying point, isn't it? The love of God. 
The fact that he has posted colors above us of great, of great comfort. The word love alone means that you can run back to the safe arms of the authority above you without any fear. It is, it is the rallying point in your time of need, believer. It is our battle cry. We charge this world with love. But I'll end on this. This, this is where, uh, this is where I would chalk up a day, a Sunday, out of Second Timothy in the series we're in. Uh, if you know me very well, if you've been here a little while, you know I don't like the holiday message things. Um, I, it, uh, for whatever reasons. I won't bore you, but it's it's always stressful for me when there when there comes one of these holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and you feel like you got to give some Mother's Day or Father's Day message. It's my it's my issue. I got to deal with it. Um, I, I frankly, guys, I wouldn't take Valentine's Day out of Second Timothy just to give you some lovey dovey message on love because it's Valentine's Day. But I sense as the pastor of this church, uh, there is always. But maybe for some of you, particularly today, there is always a great need for the church to know that the banner he flies over us, the authority that we are under, is not duty, responsibility, guilt, shame, burden. He's a big, mean God. He's a scary God. He'll strike me dead, God. The banner that he declares over his beloved, his lily among thorns, is love. And we are to walk in the heat of this, this terrible battle until the end of days with our strength being his great love. And church, uh, I confess to you at the beginning of this, that that, that, that simple yet confounding truth that the God of all the universe could make our relationship, mine and his, such that he can feel that way about me. It's hard. It's hard to grasp. It's hard. I feel like the common lily in the valley. I feel like a weed. He says, no, that's not you. That's not you. You're beloved. There is, as a subtext under love on your banner, there's freedom, there's mercy, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's kindness, there's gentleness. There is the strength of God when there is no strength in you. There is the faithfulness of God when there is no faithfulness in you. In that one word, it unpacks to the story of all scripture of God's great love for us. Paul said that it was the love of God that compelled him to do all that he did, to go to the extents that he went. And if you've been hanging out for Second Timothy, you know the extent to which he went. And he would say that it is the love of God which compels me. The love of God has accomplished our salvation, your salvation, when you could not.
When you get low, down, hard-pressed, burdened, ashamed, guilt-ridden, discouraged, distracted, disappointed, or even, even just confused, even just forgetful, maybe. Look up. Look up. The banner over you that God is waving, that he has planted in your heart. That the Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, would unfurl in your heart and mind if it's bound up. It is love. His great love for you. You know what I would say? That that God, he's like an apple tree in the forest. So is my beloved In his shade, I took great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to me, sweet to my taste. That's how we feel about our God. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, some of us, um, including me, we... We walk through seasons of our life where we're not ruled by this one truth. That we, as your children, are now declared righteous, holy, forgiven. Despite what we look like, despite what we can accomplish, despite what we can do. Father, you, you've loved us. And because of your love... We are declared holy, forgiven, righteous. We are enveloped in spotless garments, clean. Our sin, past, present, and future has been dealt with. Lord, down here in the heat of this battle... Lord, we need, we need a constant reminder. Holy Spirit, would you unfurl the flag that maybe is, has not been flying in our hearts. That flag that Jesus has planted that declares his great love for us. Father, as we march on in this world, would it be our great battle cry? The love of God to a world who has mistaken you for something that you're not. A world that has seen you as an unjust, grumpy old man in the heavens. Oh God. You are just. You are merciful. And you blow us away with your love. This morning, Father, um, as we worship, would you, would you speak to us? As we worship, would you, uh, would you deal with us? The truth is there. It's been laid before us. It, is, it has been set on the table before us, the truth of your great love. Lord, in, in the next few moments as we sing, would, would the truth of the, of the words we sing, would they settle into our hearts in maybe a way that they have never before? 
Lord, some of us have come in here with, with a weight on our shoulders that, um, that you have not put there. That we are carrying on our own. Lord, speak, speak to our hearts. Move. Holy Spirit, move among men and women this morning. Draw men who have been watching from the outside, hearing about your great love. Draw them to take that, that step of faith. Even when they uh, maybe don't quite know. They don't quite know the answers, but they, they sense that there is a love above and beyond them. That is calling them. That will protect them. That will guard them. That will redeem them. Draw men and women. Thank you, Jesus. That you are the one who was lifted up as our banner before all men on a cross. You were planted and raised. Through your blood and through your brokenness, you were to us love. May the truth, Father, set men and women free. May the truth set men and women free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.